Um, we were journeying through the, the book of Genesis here, and last week we looked at what God was doing before creation. Because it's so important to understand what God is doing before creation so that we can understand the plan as it unfolds for him to show his love to us. Because there's parts about who God is that you would, you would never be able to comprehend without cre- creation happening, right? I mean, this eternal covenant where he wants to show us his love and redeem us through Jesus. It's the way that he shows us grace, mercy, love, all of those things. And so that's what God was doing beforehand. So the next four weeks, this week and three more weeks, we are going to be spending in Genesis chapter one predominantly together. And we're gonna be looking at, this week will be the first uh, five days of creation and then the first part of the sixth day. Uh, next week, we're going to be looking at the image of God and what it means for humans to be made in God's image and for us to be very good, um, and then the responsibility that comes with that. The week after that, we're going to be looking at Sabbath and how God designed the earth, God designed creation to be in a Sabbath rhythm, and how our lives get off kilter if we don't understand that and live like that as well. And then the, the week after that, we're going to be looking at God's design in marriage and male and female together. So that's where we're headed over the next few weeks. We're excited about heading there with you. Um, and so let's dig in today where we're going to be looking at, at uh, creation together. I was thinking, you know, God, God intends to show us a lot through uh, how he has created the world. He wants to show us things about himself. I was thinking about my, my uh, history with, with working, and God has definitely showed me a lot through the work that I've done in life. Uh, I've had uh, I've had about 36 different jobs, and I know you're like, how old is that guy? I, I got off to a rocky start, all right. So I mean, like I, the, the only job I've ever been fired from, you know, just put this out there, was the first one. And I was a dishwasher. Okay, so you can't ever complain if the dishes aren't clean. I got fired from it, but. Um, so the, the fourth job I had came when I was a, a junior in high school. Uh, there was a, a, a fine dining establishment that opened across the street from our high school uh, called the Food Court in Lawrenceburg, Kentucky. Now, the, the, the Food Court, it had, it had a lot of very fine dining establishments within it. Uh, uh, there was Long John Silver's. Uh, there was uh, Taco John's. Yeah, Taco John's. There was a pizza place that just kept changing names. And then there was a... Then there was the crown jewel of them all, Arby's, right? Arby's. So that's where I worked was at Arby's. Uh, and Arby's, uh, I, I started working with this guy I really looked up to. His name was Brian. Brian, uh, uh, he was like, you know, he played, played basketball, made good grades, you know, just really popular. He was just a guy you wanted to be like. And so uh, I started working with him. And then there was this one night about a year into working there that, that Brian was entrusted with the responsibility of acting manager at 18 years old to close down the restaurant and I was his sidekick. So I was working up, manning the counter in the front and then he was in the back running the slicer at Arby's because that's the, that's the dangerous piece there, right? The slicer. And so Brian's back there working and lo and behold, somebody comes in for a, a 10 o'clock beef and cheddar because I'm sure he's going to sleep well after he eats that. But uh, he comes in for one and it just happens to be the, the guy that Brian's ex-girlfriend is uh, now dating. Uh, and so uh, he orders the beef and cheddar. I'm going back to get the curly fries or whatever. And I see Brian putting ingredients on the beef and cheddar that don't belong on the beef and cheddar. And then we, we hand it out to, we hand it out to uh, uh, him. And then the guy just gobbles it down. And Brian's just giggling his little heart out behind the, you know, the slicer. And that day I realized that Brian was really not a guy I wanted to be like anymore. And, and, and the reason I share that story with you is because there are things that we're going to get to know about God today that we couldn't know unless Genesis 1 was in the Bible. 
There are themes that we're going to see. There are patterns we're going to see. There are repetitions that we're going to see that invite us to experience who he is, not just what he's done. And so we're going to be having a little bit of a different outline today. Um, I'm going to just truck through the the days of creation, and I'm going to stop and spend time at different places and draw out some different things about that uh, for, you know, I'm going to spend different amounts of time on each one. So our big idea of where we're going is this, God invites us to know him through his work in creation. So um, let's look at day one together. Uh, We'll start in verse three, we'll read this together. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God, God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. So here what we see God doing is taking the chaos of darkness that, that was created in the beginning and starting to bring order to it. You know, darkness, only darkness exists and he brings light into the darkness and it exposes the darkness and he, and he brings forth a natural and physical light, which will be the raw energy that all of life will be dependent upon. And it all stems from, it all stems from him. It's the first thing he creates, but light and darkness are just not physical things that we observe. They are also spiritual. It's it's interesting that God first does the light and the darkness because he talks so much about light and darkness throughout the pages of Scripture. It's flooded uh, throughout the pages of Scripture. And light is almost always referring to God's presence in the Bible. And darkness, it's almost always referring to the absence of his presence and the dominion of our enemy. So here's some things that we we learn about God, that, that he made light and we are made for light. Did you hear that? That God first made light, and your soul is made for light. All right? That, but, but here's the problem. Matthew chapter 4, verse 16. The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death on them, a, a, a light has dawned. So darkness covered the land spiritually until Jesus came on the scene. And darkness covers every human heart until Jesus comes on the scene in your heart. This is what is so significant about the first day of creation is that he's laying out the pattern of how we will receive life. It's through light. But here's the, here's the issue with us in receiving the light of God. John three nineteen. This is the judgment that light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works are evil. So, so the problem is this is that God has sent the gift of his son to bring light once again into our hearts, and we have rejected it because the darkness seems like better news to us. And that that darkness manifests itself in lots of different ways, but there's really one underlying theme of darkness, is that it's hidden. And so those hidden and unredeemed places in your heart where you are terrified to walk in the light as he is in the light, they're the playground for the enemy. But God's intention has always been to create a people for himself that are made for light. So your life, when it's in the darkness, is not functioning out of God's design. It's not. Ephesians 5 says this. Here's the the work for us. Ephesians 5, 8, for at one time you were darkness. Not just you were in darkness. You were darkness. It is your identity, he's saying. So every person on the face of the planet, at one time, 
you were darkness. The question is, is it a were or, or out of you out of the darkness now, you know? Is it past tense or is it present tense for you? That's the question. And the scriptures teach us that if your life is not in Christ, which, which means that you're walking in the light, that there is this participation with the light in redeeming your heart. A big Bible word, sanctification, that you are walking in the light. You're, you're seeking by God's, by God's help through the Spirit. You're seeking to bring more and more of the darkness into the light. You're seeking to, 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 to be found out more and more because God's grace is in your life. He says that's what it means to walk as children of the light, Ephesians 5. So here's a, here's a point to remember, and I'm just going to draw out three or four of these today as we're talking about creation. Jesus' redemption enables us to fight for the light. Without Christ present in your heart, you cannot fight for the light. You don't have the power because darkness has covered the face of the earth and covered the, covered, you know, the, the totality of your heart. It's only possible through faith that you have the ability to fight for the light yourself but also help others fight for the light. Because that's what the church is. It's a community of light. It's a community of people that help one another fight for the light and value the light over the darkness. And so my question to you this morning, as we keep moving through this, is that Jesus has brought life into the, light into the world. What have you done with it? What have you done with it? Have you rebelled and existed in the darkness? Or are you seeking to bring your life into the light? It's not going to be pretty. Redemption is beautiful, not because it's all, you know, a bed of roses, but because the light is there. And that's the only place life is. That's the only place. So, day two, God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the waters. This one is the most mysterious to me, okay? I'm, let, me, let me read the rest of it. God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse, and it was so. And God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening, and there was morning the second day. So first thing I want to say before I get into the details of this is we're starting to see a pattern in the days of creation that will go throughout all of the days of creation. And it's this, God said, and it was so. Let's say that, say that with me. God said, and it was so. You see, that's a miraculous thing, that God would be a God that would say things and they would happen. How much of the Bible is dedicated to that brokenness in our lives? One of the Ten Commandments, you know, thou shalt not lie, right? It's because when we say it's not so. Jesus said, let your yes be a yes and your no be a no, right? James, Jesus' uh, bold little brother, said this. He, he said, uh, don't be hearers of the word in James chapter 1, verse 22. And so deceive yourselves, don't be hearers only, but be doers of the word. That there is supposed to be this congruence between uh, hearing and doing, saying and doing. And we see that it is so with God. And a point to remember for us is this is that if God were to stop speaking, everything would stop existing. If, if, I don't think we can comprehend this very easily. Let me say it again. If God were to stop speaking, everything would stop existing. If God were to stop speaking, everything would stop existing because we see that, that God creates the word through Jesus. He's the logos. It's the Greek word for, for word. He's the, he's the word of God, the activity of God, the action of God. 
And we see the Spirit accompanies and prepares the Word for action, but the Word, Jesus, is the one that speaks things into existence. And when God says something, it's done. Creation is speaking. Yet the brokenness of our lives is that what we say is often not activity, not action, not gospel, right? So we see that his voice is, is the very essence of existence. So you think about this. The good news about this for Christians is that Jesus has never stopped speaking. And, and by faith, he's never stopped speaking on your behalf. He's never stopped speaking. Where is Jesus right now? Well, he's at the right hand of the Father in heaven. And what is Jesus doing at the right hand of the Father in heaven? He's interceding for believers all over the world, past, present, future. He's interceding, making our case known before the Father, reminding the Father of his righteousness that covers our lives. If he stops speaking, if he stops interceding, we stop existing. That's what God is doing. He's keeping the world afloat through the word of his power. So on the second day of creation, you know, what's God up to? Well, apparently the light that he created on day one revealed this kind of the foggy mist of substance, this water that was kind of, kind of a big bubble is the picture that you get. And, and the light revealed this, and, and in order for creation to flourish, there had to be separation. And you see this really a theology of separation throughout the whole Bible, that for life to flourish, there has to be separation, right? Um, I mean, you even see this, you know, the sheep and the goats, the parable, you see separation. God is a God that separates. And so we see him separating uh, from the very beginning. In day two, what he's doing is is he's he's separating the waters from the waters, the waters from the above, which he calls the heavens, from the waters below, which he calls the earth. And and this, it's where we get this word firmament from, which is not a word that you've probably maybe ever used in your life. Maybe you have. I challenge you to use it in a sentence this week. See if that, see if that goes over well. Um, which carries this connotation of, of, like, you think about a blacksmith that hammers out metals. It's this, it's this uh, idea that, that God is hammering out creation, that he's creating the expanse so that flourishing life can occur. And, uh, you know, specifically on day, we see him creating that, that water above, which he calls the heavens, uh, you know, separating cloud from ocean and the water below, which he calls the earth. And, and notice that he doesn't say on this day of creation that it was good. You're like, look, I mean, the, the ocean and the, you know, the skies above, they're not good. Well, here's what I think. I, I think he doesn't say it's good on this day because he's not done with the water yet. He's not finished. He's not finished with his work of creating. And so, and so that's why he says in the third day, he says it was good two times. And so, um, and so we see him doing this. And when, when he says heavens, he's talking about uh, two, two, two different types of, of heavens, if you will. He's talking about the physical heavens think, where things like you know, snow, uh, rain, thunder uh, come from, you know, the, 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 the expanse that holds the stars, the sun, and the moon. I were created on this day, but he's also talking not only about the physical aspects of the heavens above, the expanse above, but also the abode or the dwelling place of God. He says that God exists, you know, in, in the heavens. Psalm 19, 1 and 2 is a, is, a, is a verse I want to read for you today, but I want to also encourage you to spend some time in Psalm 19 this week. It'd be a great place for you to, to kind of camp out for a little bit. The psalmist writes this, the heavens declare the glory of God. The expanse above, it's declaring the glory of God. And the sky above, 
is proclaiming his, his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. So what he's saying is that the actual creation that he has spoken into existence is proclaiming something to those that belong to God. It's proclaiming something to the world. It's proclaiming something to image bearers of God, that, that his actual physical creation is pouring out knowledge for us. It's, it's, I don't even think we can comprehend the amount of, of love and truth that God wants to communicate to us. And this is where part of the, the brokenness exists for us because we can't see that God is making himself known through his creation. It's all pointing to Jesus. And yet we, we walk away and we say, oh, yeah, it was a nice sunset. That was a, you know, that's a beautiful tree. Look, the leaves are changing. And yet our, we don't see Jesus through it. We just see something to be observed. And I think that's where the breakdown occurs. We're going we're gonna to continue pressing in there. But let's go to day three now and just kind of see how these patterns continue. God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let dry, dry land appear. And it was so. And God called the dry land earth. Okay, okay, he did that on the third day, not the second day, my bad. And they were gathered together, he called the seas. And God said that it was good. And God said, let the, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed and fruit trees bearing fruit in which their seed uh, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. And the earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. And so we see God continuing his work with water on this day of creation. He wraps it up and declares it good. But then he's also gathering seas and making land appear. And the land is going to have this reproductive life on it, this sustenance, this, 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 uh, the, you know, these plants that produce fruit and all of this stuff. And it's just like God. Notice everything that God creates multiplies. That's a key word for us there. It's no different for disciples of Jesus. So a plant or a, you know, an animal that doesn't reproduce or multiply, there's something broken in it. Disciples of Jesus, the same way who don't multiply their lives, there's something broken in your understanding of who God is and what his purpose is for us. Because what we see is that God, God's looking um, on what he's made and, he, and he's reflecting on it. He's saying, man, that's good. That's, that's good. And, and we, get, we get God's heart in the middle of it. He looks at what he makes and we see that he's personally connected to it. I think a lot of times we just think that God creates and it just, just kind of exists from a distance, but he's invested in it. He's, he's looking at it and thinking, wow, that's good. Each day of creation is revealing that all of creation is intrinsically good. Did you hear that? All of creation, all of what God creates is intrinsically good. And what's, what's the goodness, intrinsic goodness of creation lead us to? Well, it teaches us that the physical creation and the spiritual creation that exists within us are made to exist with integrity together. They're made to exist hand and glove together. But I think that's something that we can't even fathom sometimes, that we could have a life that wasn't riddled with decay and the erosion of sin. That we could have an experience as humans with creation that wasn't first and foremost uh, described or identified from our brokenness with God's creation. So here's a point to remember about this, that, that we as Christians have to fight for the harmony between the spiritual and the physical in our own hearts. That creation was made to exist in cohesion like that. 
So there's, there's two ways that this brokenness typically shows up in people's lives. Uh, the first one is this, is that, that you would place the spiritual above the physical. So, so you would place, uh, you would say that there are, there are spiritual things and then there's this other worldly stuff, all right? Um, and this is an approach to the physical that says creation is in and of itself actually bad. At its very essence, that's what you're saying. That heaven is our home and this, this stuff down here is going to hell in a handbasket and it's bad. That's kind of this, this approach here that we see. You know, the thing that we forget though is that heaven is going to be an incredibly physical place. Have you considered that? You're not gonna be floating on a, a cloud. You're definitely not gonna be an angel. So get that theology out of your vocabulary, okay? You're gonna be an image bearer of God a perfect image bearer with a perfect body. This is why when Jesus completes the recreation of everything, what do you get? A glorified body. All you think about is how broken that body is that you exist in now. But you're gonna get a physical body. The Bible talks about streets and mansions and all of these things that are incredibly physical things that God is bringing in harmony together. Yet we have a temptation because of our fear of worshiping the physical creation, that we, that we kind of go into this ascetic and Greek approach where we actually think that creation's bad. Now, I think it's helpful to think about a continuum here in the Christian life. And that's a continuum that, um, that we, of how Christians relate to the physical creation, and it's this. It's a continuum of, on one hand, feasting and enjoying creation, enjoying a meal with friends, lingering around the table, and fasting withholding creation from yourself to get recentered with the Lord. So that's the continuum, feasting and fasting. And so to, to value the spiritual above the physical uh, is, is to, uh, um, it's to, it's to fast and never feast. It's to fast and never feast. And some of you may be in this room, you lean toward that way. You know, you lean toward that because uh, you're just terrified of, of being consumed with creation. Uh, Tim Keller addresses this, and he says this um, in his Genesis study that he wrote. He says, in Greek thinking, the body was something to be transcended in order to reach spiritual heights. As a result, many in Western history have believed that manual labor is wrong. Like, if you're going to get a real job, you better not be working with your hands. Um, that sexual pleasure is intrinsically dirty or spiritually polluting. A lot of Christians really broken there. That salvation is obtained through the denial of pleasures and that suffering is good in itself, that you should make yourself suffer. In contrast to this legalistic view, here's what Genesis 1 and 2 shows us. He shows us, and this, this just grabbed me, so heavy here. He shows us a God with his hands dirty and that being good. What are the implications of a God with his hands dirty and it being good for your life this morning? If God was willing to get his hands dirty in an anthropomorphic kind of way, you know, he doesn't have a body, but if God was willing to get his hands dirty in creation, do you think he might be willing to get his hands dirty in your heart, in the recreation and the remaking of your dirty and filthy heart? I think so. I think he's interested in moving in, not away. And I just hear this and I think if God was willing to get his hands dirty in creation, Maybe he'd be willing to get his hands dirty in our lives. But when you think about the filth of our chaotic existence that's ever entwined with sin, all that darkness that we've been talking about, right? All those things that if they were to scroll up here on the screen, you'd be running out the back door that are true in your heart. 
We, we get terrified, but the problem is, is that hiding them doesn't make them disappear. But what if we had a God that was willing to get his hands dirty in the recreation and redemption of our souls? I think we do in Jesus. We have that God. Now, the second thing that we see, the second kind of overcorrection we see is the f- placing the physical creation above the spiritual. So when you come back to that continuum of, you know, fasting and feasting, this would be to feast and never fast. This would be to never take seasons of understanding that your heart needs to be recentered spiritually because you are absorbed with, with uh, lots of physical things, right? This is, this is a place where a lot of Americans get, we, American Christians get tied up here. Um, and, and what we do here is we miss the goodness of God in creation because all we see is creation, not the creator. Romans 1 talks about this, a classic text about talking about the idolatry of creation. And when I say creation, I mean anything physical that has been made that's not an image bearer of God. Creation. So basically anything, anything that you could possibly value over God is creation, right? That's, and that's idolatry. He says this, For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God's shown it to him. And how has he shown it to him? Well, through his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, they've been clearly perceived and they've been perceived since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. God's been pouring out himself for us as he's made the world. And so what that makes us is that we're without excuse, Paul says, for although they, they knew God in a cerebral kind of way, They did not know him in a heart level kind of way as God or give thanks to him, but instead they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. There's that theme again. Their foolish hearts were darkened through unbelief. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. And what ultimately happens to this type of person is they exchange the glory of the immortal God who doesn't die, who always lives, who's always light, never dark, for images replicas of mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. It's the heart of idolatry here is the great exchange where we exchange what is eternal for what is temporary. And we see this happening in our own hearts and in our world, don't we? Every day we see it happening. And, uh, you know, we're all out of whack when it comes to our brokenness uh, and how it's revealed through creation. What we see in creation is that God's design is that the physical and the spiritual work together to reveal the triune God to the world. That, that, that's the design of God. That all of creation tells the story of God's eternal plan in Jesus. Now, I came across this week an essay that C.S. Lewis wrote. It's not a real well-known one. Um, and it's called Meditation in a Tool Shed. I don't know the last time you went to your tool shed and wrote a three-page paper about what you experienced in there, but Lewis did. And I want to read it to you because I think it, it captures the essence of how you um, can, can look at, you can experience the physical creation and get to Jesus through it. Okay, it captures it. So let me read it for us. Lewis says this, I was standing in the, in a, in today in the dark tool shed, and, and the sun, it was shining outside through the crack at the top of the door, there came a sunbeam. For where I stood, that beam of light with the specks of dust floating in was the most striking thing in the place. Everything else was almost pitch black. And I was seeing the beam, not seeing things by it. So here's, here's the setup. He's in his tool shed. I don't know if the door's cracked open or it's not a real well-built one. There's a big crack in the top. But, 
there's a, there's a sunbeam shining in, and he's, he's standing to the side of the sunbeam, and he's, you know, like in the afternoon at your house, when you see things kind of floating through those sunbeams as they're in there, he's, he's seeing the sunbeam, but he's not seeing anything else in the room. So then he has this transition. He says, so then I moved so that the beam fell on my eyes. So he positions himself where the beam of light is, is like this right here, like right in his eyes. And, uh, and, and he says, instantly, the whole previous picture vanished. He said, I didn't see a tool shed anymore. Uh, and above all, I didn't even see the beam anymore. Instead, I saw framed in a regular cranny at the top of the door, green leaves moving on the branches of a tree outside and beyond that. 90-odd million miles away, the sun. And he says this, looking along the beam of light and looking at the beam of light are very different experiences. Okay, so church, I think this is the key to understanding how the physical created world speaks to God's overwhelming love to us. How does, how does his love get into our hearts through what he's created? Because there is a tremendous amount of brokenness in, in creation with us and our relationship to creation. And we don't get... We don't get nearly an ounce of God's intended love for us through perceiving creation that he intends for us to receive. That's the brokenness. And John Piper was so passionate about helping people to understand about this that he wrote about this in a, in a book that he called When I Don't Desire God. And he, and he used this story of this tool shed and he kind of wraps it up for us. Let me read you what Piper wrote. He says this, we see the glory of God, not just the glory of the heavens. We don't just stand outside and analyze the natural world as a beam but let the beam fall on the eyes of our heart so that we can see the source of the beauty, the original beauty, which is God himself. All of God's creation becomes a beam to be looked along or a sound to be heard along or a fragrance to be smelled along or a flavor to be tasted along or a touch to be felt along. All of our senses, all of who we are in our created being, all the ways that God made us fearfully and wonderfully become partners with the eyes of the heart in perceiving the glory of God through the physical world. Wow. When you think about that, that, you're, that how God made you, that he gave you all these partners to partner up with his physical creation so that he could show you because a lot of times we, 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 in a cerebral fashion, we read this and we're like, I'm just pounding my head with this stuff, God. But here's the problem. I don't have any joy in my heart, right? How many Christians do you know that have never experienced a day of having the joy of the Lord in their heart? It's, it's terrifying. It, it, God made us for joy and we never experience it. It's because he is trying to pour out his word into our hearts in so many ways. And we are so blind to so many of them. And that last line of what Piper says that our senses become partners with the eyes of the heart. Think about that in your own life. What would that look like for you? You know, maybe it would be like the crackling of a, a fire. You know, when, when's the last time you had a, a, a spiritual experience of actually Jesus himself communicating to you through creation that you never got just by sitting down for your Bible study, right? I mean, maybe God wants to communicate even more to us than just in this room. It's when the crackling of a fire warms your body and Maybe the nostalgia of your childhood soul. Uh, you know, it's when a, a, a child's laughter makes you pause and forget about the to-do list and maybe laugh along a little bit. It's when a meal around the table with dear friends can seem more spiritual than a church service. It's when you see a sunset and you can't help but capture it on your phone, hoping to just recall maybe a measure of what you experienced. 
I'm not downplaying corporate worship. I'm not downplaying um, Bible study. I'm not downplaying discipleship. All of those things we get, church. What I think we've downplayed is how much God wants to pour out on us in other places in his creation. He's so desperate to do that with us. I don't know about you, I'm just exhausted about trying to look at creation and worship God. To, to try to just, just think of something God created and worship God from it. Because what inevitably happens in my heart is idolatry. You know, I, I think about enjoying something and I don't see God through it and I start to idolize it. And I think, man, if I, could just, if I could just have that thing that comes from this, then maybe my life would be better. And it's just this exhausting pattern that we get on. And, and, and you know, maybe, maybe you don't see that pattern in and of yourself where you, you have an experience of brokenness with creation and somehow maybe it's some kind of addiction or maybe it's some kind of habit that you can't kick. And, and, and um, maybe you need to take inventory if, you, if you're not aware of that. And here's the way I always take inventory. What's the first thing I want to talk about with somebody? What is it? What's the first thing I want to talk about with somebody when I meet them or I talk with them or I catch up with them? That's usually the thing that I'm kind of idolizing in that season. And it changes daily sometimes, but that's kind of where I go. But what I want to, what I want to grow in and what I want us to grow in is, is learning to see the glorious God behind it all as we experience life in this world. What we see is that God is endlessly pouring himself out on us. If we could just open our eyes, our ears, our hearts, and our mouths to the wonder of it all, that his cup is overflowing with love to give to you. I want to read um, actually a, a rather chunky verse of scripture here. Days four, five, and the first part of day six. And what I want you to see in the pattern of this when I read it, so I want you to see how God's not just moving from day one to day three where he brings from chaos where he brings order and things are starting to make sense. But the thing that he wants us to, to see is that he's, he's taking us from, from order to fullness, okay? Fullness, that's the key word. So listen to that word fullness here. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens and to separate the day from the night and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and for years and let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens and to give light upon the earth. And it was so, and God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night, the stars. And God let them, God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good and there was, there was evening and there was morning, which was the fourth day. And God said, let waters swarm with swarms of living creatures. Let birds fly above the earth across the exposure of the heavens. So God created the, the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply. And here's our word, fill the waters and the seas and let the birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning. It's the fifth day. Day six, God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beast of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw, he steps back and he sees that it's good. What you see God doing is taking the earth and not just making it have an orderly fashion about it 
working the way that it needs to. But part of his goodness is creating fullness in the earth. And that's why so much of our brokenness revolves around the area of emptiness in our hearts, right? How many times have you tried to squeeze life out of something lifeless, right? We've all done it. We've been there. Some of us are doing it right now. But God's intention is to bring fullness into our hearts. Let me show you this this chart real quick. I think it'll help make sense here. So if you think about the first three days as like kingdoms or realms, the way that the scriptures describe them, you see that creation is moving from chaos to order. But if you look at the last three days, God is interested in taking those realms or those kingdoms that he's created, and he's bringing fullness into them. So on day one, we see the realms of light and dark that we talked about. Day four, what do we see? Lights to rule the light and the dark. He's creating boundaries around the days. Day two, you see realms of sea and sky. He's got the expanse going on now. Well, day five, you see that he's, that he's put creatures to fill the sea and the sky. That they just having sea and sky wasn't enough. That's, there needed to be a fullness in creation. Day three, you see the realm of the earth. And day six, what, we see, what we've seen today is that there's creatures to fill the earth. What we'll see next week is that there's human beings to fill, and not only fill, but to rule the earth. Okay? So that's what we're going to see next week. But we see that God is creating to the full. And it's been his plan from the beginning that we would experience fullness. And the only way that you and I can experience fullness is through Jesus. Because we can't know all of who God is through just experiencing him as creator. We also need him as redeemer so that we can know his grace, his mercy, and his love. And it was his plan from the beginning. It's what the scriptures show us. So here's our last point to remember uh, for this morning. That the fullness of God's creation is intended to communicate the fullness of God's love. I want to read two passages as we close. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 19. Paul writes this, to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. He's saying that there is a knowledge about who God is. There's an experience of who God is that goes deeper than a quiet time Bible study. All right? He's saying that there is something to be experienced in our very physical human experience of God's love that surpasses knowledge. He's saying that that's possible. Most Christians never taste that. They never taste that. And so my question to you as you think about fullness and about maybe the absence of fullness in your own life is how do you feel about God in the the midst of that? Do you feel like God is holding out on you this morning? Do you feel like the lot you've been dealt in life is by this passive-aggressive God that's holding back on you? God created this world with a fullness, a a four-season, vibrant, colorful, abundant kind of experience for all of creation. And he's fearfully and wonderfully made each and every one of us to experience his fullness. He's made you to be able to see creation and hear him speak in creation. And the deepest way that God can ever communicate his fullness to us is through his son. Any other attempt to try to cultivate and manufacture fullness will always fall short and always keep you in the dark. The only way that any of us can experience the fullness of God's love that he has for us is through his son. Let me read Ephesians 1. This is what the writer says. He says, long, long ago and at many times in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, these last days that the church is in now, he has spoken to us by his son whom he appointed the heir of all things, 
through whom he also created the world. And his son is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. That's who his son is. Our hearts, church, cannot contain the fullness that God desires to give us in his son. Think about this. God is more eager to pour his love out on you than you are to soak it up. God, I mean, it's like, he's like a sloppy painter that paints this masterpiece, right? I mean, there's, there is excess everywhere. There's excess love all over the world that he's pouring out on creation. And we've got this little microscope looking at this one little thing here. What would it look like for you this week for God to kind of blow up that paradigm in your life? For you to be able to see not just the beam, but see through the beam to Jesus, through your experience with creation. Because what we would see then is, is that there's, 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 really, uh, there's really nothing that God can't grow us in. There's no experience that God can't grow us through. And we'd find ourselves, you know, even though we're broken, telling one another where to find bread together because we find fullness in Jesus. And so church, I just want to encourage you to maybe, maybe if you struggle with that idea of fullness and joy, spend some time in Psalm 19 this week. Spend some time reflecting on that because God wants to give us more than we could ever receive in his son Jesus in creation. Let's pray together. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word this morning. Your word that is not just this physical Bible, but it is existence itself, Lord. Would you expand our ability to receive your love this morning, Lord? Would you expand our hearts in such a way that we would see all of creation declaring your glory, like Psalm 19 says. We would, we would experience all of creation pouring out speech, pouring out knowledge, pouring out love on our hearts, the fullness of Jesus. Lord, I pray for those in this room this morning that have never known joy, that have never known the fullness of being made in God's image. God, I pray that you would shine light on that this morning. And I pray that there would be a, a brokenness that, that appears in their hearts and in their souls that leads to confession and repentance. Lord, because we'll never find you. We'll never find you through those idols that we create in our hearts. We need you to break us and show us that the only way is Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.